Keepers of the Flame, the classic metal podcast with Rev Taylor and Darren Wall. Reviews, interviews, and conversation since 2021. Hello and welcome once again to Keepers of the Flame, a classic metal podcast. This is our seventh episode. Man, we've already been doing this for over a month and it I don't know. The way the world is, it kind of feels like we've been doing it for years. Uh, <laughs> so um, we're actually recording on a Friday, of all things. But, you know, when you're listening to this, it will be out on a Sunday night. So, hey, Sunday night, time to kick it. Crack yourself a cold beverage. My beer of the week. You can't read this label because it's black. But this is uh, called Not Interested Brown Ale, which is an interesting title by Cloud Purse Brewing. They're downtown Seattle. Great local brewery. Check out their stuff. Support your local craft beers, art, beer makers, artisans, musicians, everything that's local to you. It's always a good way to be. So uh, this week, um, with me as always, of course, my, my co-host, Rev. How you doing, my brother? Doing well. Glad to be here. Drove through Tacoma traffic in the rain, so it's nice to kick back and relax. If you're not from this... A, uh, yeah, sorry, oh yeah. If you're not from this area... They've been working on I-5 in Tacoma since the Stone Ages, and it'll never be finished. It's always yep. going to be under construction. And it's always a nightmare when you get the, the classic Northwest rain, which is lots of tiny little droplets that scatter the light in every direction. And so, uh, yeah, I've got my beverage of the week is, uh, I just grabbed this from the fridge at work, honestly. I didn't <laughs> buy it, but uh, it's Aslan Brewing from Bellingham, Oof. and it's the Dawn Patrol Pacific Ale. That's a good um, one, dude. Nice score. Yeah, it's good. It's uh, I like it. It's hoppy, but it's it's balanced. It's not too not too much. But the name, I don't know if it has anything to do with Megadeth, but probably not. But anyway, uh, we if you're watching this on YouTube, which we will have our stuff shit up on YouTube fairly soon, but we have another special guest this week um, with us on the podcast for the whole ride is my old buddy Jesse Valstar coming to us direct from Armstrong, BC. Um, for those of you who don't know Jesse, he is probably one of the most well-liked people in the British Columbia metal scene. Um, he is has an awesome band called Odin Fist, who are just your classic power metal, heavy metal band. They're fucking awesome. Uh, several rad albums to date. I've gigged with them. He also is one of the founders of a great festival in Canada called Armstrong Metal Fest, which is the best festival in Western Canada for my money. Uh, Jesse, welcome to the show, man. How you doing, my man? Wow, when you say all those things all in a row, it sounds like I do some pretty cool things. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much. I am doing very well, thank you. And uh, I'm glad to see that you guys are all doing well as well. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. We're happy to have you, man. Um, the last time, I mean, the last time we saw you was at uh, Monin's Post back in Kelowna when we uh, got to play there with Apprentice and that's when you gave me this rad hat. And if you can't see it, if you're listening, it's a Bass Pro Shop hat, that, but it says Bass Pro Player on it. And it's got a, a little bass yeah, clef on I, it. It's uh, fucking awesome. I, I got those designed because, like, I really like the Bass Pro Shop's hats. But I saw lots of people uh, who were having those hats. And I was like, you know what? I think we can put a spin on this and make it way sweeter. So I uh, got it designed, and then I got them printed. Because... It's as, as someone who can get merch made, why not? Yeah, well, yeah, why not? And you know what? I'm not a hat guy very much at all, but I wear this one quite frequently. So this is the only yeah. hat I wear. I wear toques, or as they call them in America, beanies, which was yeah. funny. The first time someone said, I said toque when I moved to America, people were like, what? I'm like, my toque. And I held it up and they're like, you mean your beanie? I'm like, what the fuck is a beanie? There's no beans in this thing. 
What do you call it? And, a theme? But I, I feel that I actually, cause like when I was in Bakken in 2008, I went to the, I, when I finally got to the front of the merch line, I wanted a Bakken toque. And I just kept t- saying to the guy, I was like, I'll take that toque right there. And, and the guy looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> And I could not get past it. And I didn't get, I didn't end up getting the toque because we couldn't break the language barrier. Because <laughs> toques only exist in Canada. That's why. What the hell? That's amazing. I, I had forgotten that was even a thing. Yeah, I, I, you told me once about that, Darren, but I, I'm, I'm freshly reminded that that funny little word exists for you guys because I, I have never heard about it. I always figured that beanie was because your head is like your bean. The bean, yeah. You know? I mean, it's like yeah, if you get bean in baseball, it, right? Sense. Yeah. Yeah, once I thought about it, it made sense. But at first, I was like, dude, that's a toque. Come on. What do you mean it's not a toque? That's a toque. <laughs> but garments aside, um, we're going to roll right along here. Um, we have an album uh, to review this week in depth. And it is an album by the band Crystal Viper. It's called The Cult. And I don't know about you guys, but I was pleasantly surprised by just how much I was into this album. Um, oh, dude, it was totally kick-ass, man. Absolutely. Yeah. And I expected it to be good, but I didn't realize how much I was going to like it. Um, so for those folks who don't know Crystal Viper, they've been around since 2003, which kind of surprised me. I mean, I've, I've heard of them, but I've, I'm a, honestly, to be, to be fair, this is the first time I've ever sat down and really listened to a Crystal Viper record. Um, I knew of them, but more in the last decade. I didn't know they've been around since 2003. Um, they're, for, they're from Poland. Um, their their um, main their singer and their main songwriter is Marta Gabriel, who this is going to be the second Bart Gabriel reference in the podcast, seven episodes in. But she's uh, Bart's <laughs> wife, and Bart is a producer, festival organizer, all around great heavy metal guy, uh, rad dude. Um, and this is his wife's band. They've had eight albums, one live album, uh, one EP. So that's quite a prolific career. Um, and now they've put this latest one out called The Cult on, um, on Listenable Records. Um, it's, the, the album cover is really, really cool. It's kind of a bluish uh, winter shade kind of thing. Um, We've got like a, a cyclops monster from the sky kind of descending on this uh, futuristic looking city. Um, and the whole thing has a bit of like a... <laughs> Jesse had to take a break there, I guess. Yep. Uh, yeah, we've got a, it's 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 got like a a definite um, H.P. Lovecraft kind of feeling to it, which is gonna come back uh, in the lyrics here. So it's definitely kind of the vibe they're going for is a little bit of a Lovecraftian kind of deep, spooky occult kind of thing going on. Yeah, absolutely, and. Um... The, um, I like the name of their uh, album, their, their uh, label, uh, Listenable Records, which is much better than Abrasive Records. Or well, it, it's accurate in this case. I, I, I did indeed find this to be a very listenable record. Yeah. Um, speaking of, like the production is is really solid. Um, I don't think it's the best produced album I've ever heard, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Um, the, the vocal production, especially, is really good. Um, and the backing, the backing vocals sound really good. All everything vocally on this album is is treated really well. Um, mm-hmm. We can hear everything pretty clearly. Um, it's definitely not a muddy mix, even though it's not um, polished. It's not muddy, so I think the production is very adequate on it. Um, how did you feel the production went? I yeah, I thought it sounded pretty good all in all. Um, 
again, that's not really my area of expertise, but I, I heard pretty good separation. I thought the guitars sounded good. It's a, it's a little, uh, you know, it, it's treble, definitely treble forward, not surprising yes. given that it's, you know, a very melodic, uh, traditional heavy metal album. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, 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 I had no complaints in that regard. I thought the vocals sounded very good. I mean, it makes sense. I think after what, 17 plus years <laughs> doing this, Marta Gabriel must know what she's doing, uh, in um, terms of uh, making sure her vocals sound good. And they do like the, the sound on the vocals is, is really, really good. Yeah. And I, I gotta say, um, she really does know what she's doing at this point. Um, they definitely are the highlight of the album for me. Um, and that's not, that's a rare thing for me to say that the, mm -hmm. for me, that the vocals are the highlight. I always, not to say that that's never, that's not important. Vocals are extremely important to me. Um, but I'm, as an instrumentalist, um, I tend to, you know, gravitate harder towards uh, um, really well-written riffs um, mm -hmm. or melodies or bass lines, or I, I, or, you know, the vocals will be something that really, for me, elevates the music. But for this, in this record, I think they're definitely the highlight. And that's not to say the rest of the band isn't great because they smoke as well. Yeah, but it's definitely like she's the main attraction. And um, yeah, I've got absolutely no complaints in terms of the the vocal production, like physically, the singing is is spot on. And the way she uses her voice as a musical instrument is is uh, is excellent. I've got no complaints there. My one real gripe with it is just... Um, I could not understand the lyrics at all. Yeah, uh, she's, and I think her accent is yeah. is rather thick. She's from Poland. Um, I mean, hey, I I can't speak Polish, so I probably yeah. And, and, and I think that's the thing we give a pass to. I mean, for me anyway. I mean, I'm not like I, I know that I know I definitely know what you're saying. Um, but you know, when when someone is you know of a different um, nationality that does not an English speaking one, you know, like, that gets a bit of a pass for me. Yeah, I mean, it definitely cut them a lot of slack. I mean, I guess, we, we, you know, not to sound like a snob, it's just in, in my in my line of work as a classical singer, I have to be able to sing in other languages in a way that people who speak those other languages will understand them or else mm -hmm. I won't get work. And so, you know, in classical music, there's definitely some um, some pretty stringent standards about that. And And part of me wants to say, like, after she's been in the business so long, she ought to have maybe figured that out a little bit more but at the same time like i don't you know I'm, we're from america it's a monolingual place this is a multilingual band you know we've, they've got people from poland they've got people from germany they've got people from sweden um the whole way that like language works in europe is different from here in yeah and it's North who america. knows if this is her i don't know if this is her job or not i never met this exactly lady. yeah i mean i don't know if this is how she makes her money so it might not and for me like i think there's a lot of um bands out there that i guess like european bands that kind of have that an accent prominently displayed in the music and i guess maybe i've just listened to enough really bad german power metal and <laughs> yeah. enjoyed it um that it, i'm just so used to it um because i listen to i mean full disclosure i listen to bands like majesty and wizard unironically and i love them so <laughs> you know and i'm not saying that either one of those guys are good sing good singers in a technical standpoint I, no, I although it, in the case of Majesty, actually, he's very, uh, he's very understandable. Um, yes, I, yes, I think it's pretty, pretty good. Uh, not, not on a level of of Marta Gabriel, who is, you know, let me not 
fuck around with it. A, an excellent metal vocalist. Oh, yeah. um, I would be interested to hear what she might sound like in her native language. I mean, maybe that's just like a preference thing for me is that if I'm going to be hearing essentially just vocal sounds, I would just as soon hear someone singing in a language they feel really comfortable with. Because mm-hmm. um, I like... Uh, yeah, and I hear what you're saying, but in the heavy metal community, that's like what we call a CLM, career limiting move. Yeah. If you don't sing in English, no one's going to buy your record outside your country. Like that's, unless you're, you know, Rammstein. Right. Or, yeah. Um, I guess Sepultura had some songs in Portuguese. Um, but generally speaking, you kind of have to sing in English in order for anyone to take your band seriously, which is kind of unfortunate, I think. Uh, I think so too. I mean, I, I guess I'm an exception. I'm just big nerd. I like to hear all the different languages of the world, but I get that the English is like basically the lingua franca of metal and of rock and roll. Cause you know, America and, and England really are the birthplaces of, uh, of rock and roll and heavy metal. So it, it, it's not that it doesn't make sense, but I, I would like to hear people being a little bit more adventurous with it uh, for my personal taste. And even though I can understand why for the sake of everyone having a common language, we do what we do in English. Yeah, oh, exactly. I mean, it's just, I, I guess it's, you know, the first metal bands, I mean, most pop music is in English, I guess, you know, rock and roll has traditionally been, it, it's, a, it's something that kind of came from America and Britain. Um, yeah. And same with metal. I mean, metal originated in Britain. And yep. that's the way it is, folks. And that's just kind of, so I guess that's kind of where it comes from. And, you know, like English is kind of, for, for I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing, it's kind of like the most universal language spoken on earth. I mean, you go to Germany, everyone speaks English. You know, you go yeah, and certainly, it, like I said, in a band where you've got people from multiple countries in Europe, probably mm-hmm. they're communicating about the language in English. Maybe, yeah. Maybe some of them in German. Um, I don't know, but. But, but I also, I definitely would be here interested to hear what she sounds like singing Polish, singing her native native tongue, whether yeah. it would make a difference um, at all. It might, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, I'm not sure, but it would be interesting. Well, again, um, like a, pers- a personal taste thing, I think singers tend to sound the best in the, their own language because there's a naturalness to how the words are going to come out and it's a more expression. But, you know, who knows? In this case, it's it's in English and a lot of it is... Uh, it all sounds really good. Let's let's not, you know, I'm not trying to say it doesn't sound good. It's just a personal taste thing. So yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, I mean Jesse's not here back yet, but he's got kids. He's yeah, the, yeah, he's the Heath Slater. Of, I mean, the wrestling fans out there will know he's the Heath Slater of the podcast. I got kids, man. <laughs> so yeah, let's get into this record. So it starts off with Providence, which is like a little something that we do in Greyhawk. It's a little intro, a synth intro. intro I thought this was a great intro, actually. I, I kind of liked it on its own. It just like sounded cool. It set the mood. It sounds like something that, you know, if it were on like a synth wave album, I would be into it and listen to it on its own. I did you skip know. it after the first listen. So that means it's a pretty cool intro. Um, and, you know, I think if you're going to put tack an intro on something, it should be, it should be cool. It should be something that people do want to hear that sets the tone for the record. I'm sure they're going to use it live to kick off sets whenever they can do that again. Um, it also uh, introduces one of the melodies from the songs. Yeah, it does. Um, and that was, that was, that was I, I noticed that too. That's very cool. Yeah. It's to me like that. Yeah. That, that sleeping giants melody. We'll get there, but that's, yeah. that's one of the high points of the record. So. Yeah. And it does, it, it, it does reference that, which is a really neat little tidbit um, to throw in. 
kind of a little, nice little Easter egg, a little foreshadowing. Um, and after that, next up comes the cult. Um, and this is like, this comes flying out of the gate, dude. Like this is super high energy. Uh, it's got that Iron Maiden feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's coming in with some dual guitar harmonies, um, some Thin Lizzy kind of um, harmonies going on as well. Um, great riffs, uh, some really catchy vocals. Like this song's a real earworm. Oh yeah. But I, I was, one of the defining characteristics of this album for me is that all, almost every track is in a way that's pretty impressive. Like these are all catchy songs. Like she really knows how to write a hook. Yes, which is for me is like the, um, the, the uh, most important part of the singer for me. I mean, obviously um, a singer generally for me has to be in key for the most part. Um, but when it comes to classic metal, the most important thing for me is ability to write a hook, write a melody, make something that I'm going to want to listen to. I'm going to start singing in my head after I, I finish the record and make me want to hit repeat. Mm-hmm. Um, make me want to come back to it. I think that's the most important thing for me. And like, yeah, like I said, apart from being able to sing in key, because if you're going to sing, be able to sing. Something that I noticed, uh, one of the first kind of uh, guitarmony <laughs> melodies that that shows up in this song, it's this da 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 da, and it immediately, and and this is something that also kind of comes back for me several times in this album. It reminds me of a lot of this like very uh, European kind of folk metal stuff that I was listening to fifteen years ago, uh, mm-hmm. and you still hear a lot, but it's really nice to hear it in like a classic metal context. Cause I really love these kinds of melodies that have a lot of that, like uh, they use a lot of like open fourths and fifths and they sound really primal and like, you know, sound like folk melodies, you know, but they're um, a lot of the times you hear that kind of stuff just being played on keyboards and being played in, in, in music that's produced in this really polished way that I don't, really care for it's really cool to hear it played in this organic way with two guitars harmonizing it and it doesn't that's... sound oompa loompa right basically it, 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 and i know what you're saying it, it definitely like gives it more of like a um an iron maiden vibe very yeah. classic sounding thing and you right? called it with thin lizzie too because thin lizzie has that kind of uh you know it's all that folk driven melody yeah like they're, they do more of the irish thing but um yeah it's that's kind of where it comes from um so next, so that, that song came on when I was listening to it. This song comes on and I'm like, okay, I'm into this song. I'm into this album. This is cool. Mm-hmm. I, I can get down with this. But then Whispers from Beyond comes and I'm a fan instantly. Yeah. This is yeah. the song that made me go, all right, I'm all in for this. I'm all in. This song, absolutely. My favorite on the record, bar none. Like, I like, I, I think I like all the songs on this album. I don't think there's one that I found um really like what's up jesse you made it back oh man okay. <laughs> okay. all so right so just let to... me let me let me just let me just explain what just happened there <laughs> okay let's do okay it. so okay so so first and foremost i've got three children three boys they're four months old four years old and five years old and today has been a day <laughs> all day and um and uh, anyways, uh, it was total chaos upstairs. My uh, fiance was trying to put the four-year-old or four-month-old to bed and, and the four-year-old and the five-year-old. And 
it was, it, I walked into chaos. And so she's in there in the dark rocking the baby. And I, and I stepped on her toe. Oh, when I, is that what we heard? We heard that. That was that was that was that was the thing. And then oh, I had no. the earbud in there, and I stepped on her toe, and I was like, "Oh shit!" Right? And I was like, "Oh shit!" I have the fucking earbud in still. Oh yeah, we oh, heard no. it. <laughs> so then I fucking take this thing. She's and like she's not happy with me at this point because I stepped on her toe, and she's dealing with three crazy children. And I'm like, "Oh okay, okay. I am the all dad. I can do this." I'm like, "I am. I am doing." I am doing technically my first social outing in months. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> well, that's fucking and, awesome, dude. Well, so I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, you're, you're actually, good, dude. That was, no. that was perfect. I couldn't have it. I actually, better. I actually wrote a whole bunch of notes. Did I miss any songs? So just the first one, but what do you think? What do you think of the cult? Let's start with there. Okay. Now let, let's, let's back it up to Providence. Sure. Yeah. And, we'll, uh, we'll, let's get your, we were on whispers from beyond, but let's get your thoughts from the beginning. Oh, I don't want to miss, miss whispers. So, so Providence, uh, just short and sweet, very much put me in the mood. I didn't know what I was in the mood for, but it kind of let me know how to feel. And then the cult just made me um, like, it, this is such a guitar driven band. And, and it's like, it's very evident, like that the singer and the, like the singer's amazing and that there's, I think, three guitars going on at the same time, if I'm mm -hmm. correct on that. Like, just, it's oh, it, it, very, very good. I love, I love the, the cult. Uh, Whispers Whisper from, from Beyond. That's where we're at now. And I was saying, when Whispers from Beyond came in, this is when I bought into this record. I was like, holy fuck, I love this song. It's a mid-paced, um, it kind of, it, it, it's, it's D.O. as fuck. Like, mm -hmm. that's the thing. Like, I, I hear her singing, and I hear Ronnie. And I was like, I mean, you guys probably know how I feel about Dio. He's my favorite singer of all time. Mm -hmm. And I kind of heard her channeling him and I was fucking into it. I was also stoked to hear Variety off the bat. This isn't the same kind of song as this first one. Um, it reminded me of like that song Egypt, The Chains Are On by Dio, like a fair bit. And it's just got that really simple... Um, Sabbathy, oh, dude, this song just fucking rules. Like, I, I yeah, love it's, it. It's the, my favorite song I've heard in 2021 so far. Yeah, this song's awesome. It's the main riff really reminds me of something that I'm not remembering. I can't figure out what it is, but that dun 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 dun. dun. And yeah. then she comes in and she's got this great. Um, it's kind of like a, a really nice bouncy rhythm. Um, and and I, I always love that when the guitars are when the when the riff is actually pretty slow and then the the vocalist kind of comes in on the on the double time a bit and like adds more rhythmic integrity to what's going on. Yeah. Um, and then the chorus is just huge. Yeah, it's a huge chorus. Actually, the like so for me, like right out of the gate, like I was they they had me. You know, okay, so the intro, the cult, like those are those are those are quality songs. But then then you hit me with whispers from beyond and it's not it's not blazing fast in your face. It's like, hey, come with me. We're gonna do something together. And yeah. I just the way that it grabbed me, I was like, sell me more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Your ideas intrigue me and I wish to subscribe to your newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. This this song for me, this is my absolute hands down favorite song of this record. My favorite song that I've heard this year from any band. I absolutely think this is a wonderful tune. 
so well written. The band is clicking. You know, let's give some like it is a it definitely is a guitar and vocal driven band, but this rhythm section is tight. And you know, they're like they're putting down like some meat and potatoes for these guys um to, to do all the fancy shit over, which coming from playing Greyhawk, I really respect mm-hmm. that because that's what I do. You know, uh, me and Nate lay down a lot of meat and potatoes for some fancy shit. And um, that's what these guys are doing. They're really, really locked in with each other. And I appreciate what they're, even though their work is a little subdued, um, I definitely appreciate what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, the drums especially are very, like, I was going to point that out. It's it's very strong drum performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this guy's got um, a pretty deep resume. This um, Cedric Forsberry, I think. Mm-hmm. Um Swedish guy plays for Blazenstone, um, which I have heard of, but I don't know much about him. When I, I don't know, when I see that things have to do with pirates, I kind of tune it out, which is weird because <laughs> I, actually, I, I actually really like pirates. Uh, but for some reason, when it's, when it's pirates and metal, I just kind of don't it's usually. It's probably because of that weird video I showed you a little while ago. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that one? I don't remember the name I of that do. band, like that Ahoy Meaty band that's on. They're, right. um, they're on fucking napalm was of course the was, is that room ahoy yeah room ahoy yeah god that's that's silly but um yeah but yeah no man this is just this just rules and that's the thing about swedish metal too there's a whole swedish metal scene all into itself mm-hmm. like even going back to the 80s bands like overdrive and shit like that like that are just they never really brand got out of there there's a whole bunch of like really, I, I remember like when i met the guys from hammerfall in 2006 the singer gave me like a whole bunch of bands to go listen to that were he listened to in the eighties um, from Sweden. And they were all amazing, dude. Like it's, they have like all their own little scene there. Cause Swedes just grow up, like come out of the womb, able to play awesome music. It seems. Well, you don't get so many like successful, prominent bands without having, you know, a whole bunch more bands base. you never hear of. Yeah, yeah. exactly. A, 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 you know, cause those, those smaller gigs and those smaller bands. I mean, that's the laboratory where uh, a scene style really gets cooked up. Yeah, for sure. All right. So moving on, as hard as it is to move on from that track, um, down in the crypt is next. And this one picks a tempo up again. Um, we get it back into the iron maiden territory. This one had an aces high feel to me, mm-hmm. um, but it kind of, it kind of busted into like some Halloween type power metal. Um, the song rips. It's fucking awesome. And it's a perfect place to put it right after that mid pace one. Yeah. It's, it's short and sweet. It's got some great gang vocals. Um, a lot of solid backing vocals on it. Um, maybe not as much of a melody that reaches out and grabs you, but it makes up for that with just kicking ass. Yeah. Lots of great playing on this. On this I, uh, I, I, so for this, actually, I, I listened to this album like uh, a number of times and the, the last time I listened to it was as a way that I haven't listened to an album in a long time, which is um, basically headphones, not eyes closed, but you're not doing anything, mm-hmm. just, just headphones and you're listening to the album front to back. And when this, when this song uh, finished, uh, the thing that came to my head was uncluttered. Like yeah. they're like, it, they just, they just put all the right pieces together and there's no bullshit. Mm-hmm. That's true. Like, That's I, true. It, like, it's not, not like, it's not one of my favorite songs. Like I would say like, it's, it's a, it's a really quality song, but it's just very uncluttered pure. Like, like, yeah, it's, it's a, a great placement. 
right yeah, there. Yeah, great placement. I, I agree with you. It's it's just some frantic playing on it, and yeah, it's just it's super tight, and yeah, there it is. There's there's no fluff. It's just it's just a it's a well written too. Um, I like it. Um, and next, we're getting to for me another highlight of the record, which is Sleeping Giants. Yeah, this was this was the one that really stood out, especially on the first listen, just because. Um, I mean, well, first of all, six eight, gotta love it. Hell yeah, um, I'm in. <laughs> and uh, and then yeah, the main melody that you know they they build the song around. It's the same thing we heard in Providence, um, uh, played a little slower on the synth, but it's this uh, just absolute earworm uh, kind of just folk melody, um, really singable, just like candy to me. I just love it. and that's one like after listening to the album one time i was like i know that melody yeah i won't forget it this has a blind guardian feel to it which yeah i was really really stoked on i was like man this has like that folky but not um cringy folky to me um you know blind guardian feel and i was super stoked on the song it's like a it's like I'm ready to march off the battle when I listen to this one, man. Like, like if you made the mistake of of being in the campground at an open air festival while these guys were playing, and they played this song, you'd be able to sing the chorus from the campground by just <laughs> hearing that melody soaring through the air. Oh yeah, like very well written. Yeah. I'm looking at the lyrics right now too, and they're really cool. You know, it makes me wish again I could understand them a little better, but like they're actually like I'm glad I'm looking at them now because uh, she's really like painting an interesting picture of um, some sort of dream world, the kind of stuff she's encountering in in the unconscious as these sleeping giants. It's cool. Um, So definitely worth if you listen to this album, getting that lyric sheet out, especially if that's something where like me, it's important to you to to understand that part of the vision. Yeah, I'm horrible for that. I, I just, I, I literally, like, I don't even hear the lyrics more times than not. Fucking bass players, man. We're the worst. <laughs> like, like, you know what I was paying attention to when I heard this was, was, was that kick drum. Mm. Like I, like the way that like, because like I said, like I, the last time I listened to it, I listened to it loud. You know what I mean? And I just like that kick drum was just good. Yeah. yeah it sounds really good and this drummer you hear drumming teachers sometimes talk about like the air and the sound like when you get just the right amount of space around each impact on the drums uh and this guy's got a great sense of, of space in that way like there's no rushing there's no behind it's just really spot on yeah dude yeah this is this is another like just just a standout track and this is one i'm going to be revisiting um so unless there's anything else to add to that one. Um, I, I just wanted to mention that I just, the, the falsetto before the chorus. Yeah. Like, uh, it just, oh, yeah. It, it like, it like just got me, it, it just got me into it. Like, I just was like, I, I was already in, but then I just bought in again. Like, I'm like, okay, here we go. Like, yeah, that's one yeah. of my, it, it works really well. It's one of my favorite places to put the highest note of the song is right there in the pre-chorus before the chorus kicks in. Yeah. Um, and that's something I like about her singing is, is uh, she's got that extra gear. She's got that, that head register that she can pop into. Um, and she uses it very sparingly, but it's extremely effective when she does. Yep, absolutely. So, so yeah, I mean, I was, I was all in at this point. And then this next song, Forgotten Land, this is another Darren Bison moment because this song is like very classic. It's not as maybe catchy or as unique as the last one, 
but it's very short and it goes right for the throat. And mm-hmm. I love songs that, that resolve themselves in around three minutes. I think it's a very difficult thing to accomplish as a songwriter. And I'm just like, man, the one thing I wrote down when I was listening to this, cause I kind of like just jot down some of my thoughts. And then when I go back and listen, I just realize if I was talking bullshit or not on the phone, like kind of on the second listen, but I wrote this lady does not fuck around on any of these tracks on this one. Like yeah. this is like, man, like she needs business, dude. I'm like, this lady's going to kick your ass straight up. Like this is, this is awesome. This song is really, really fucking cool. Uh, the backup vocals are very great, especially in the choruses. Um, yeah, this, this song rips dude. And I was like, man, I, I just becoming more and more as a fan as, of a fan as this record goes along. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the lyrics for this one again. I'm just going to, like, it's really cool what she's writing about. It's it's kind of this, again, like, there's clearly a Lovecraft influence. It's about this, like, landscape that, like, no human mind can understand. Secret cities that no human knows. Labyrinths with writings on black walls. Weird tubular shapes at dizzy height. Shows you a world where no man can survive. Nice. Cool stuff. <laughs> And yeah, no wonder absolutely. I couldn't understand it if she's saying weird tubular shapes at dizzy height. That's really cool, actually, but that would be hard to, to spit that out. <laughs> Just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, no, this, uh, right, like that intro riff for this song, particularly, like when it kicks in, it's, it's very, yeah, there's no fucking around. She knows what she's doing. Yeah, absolutely. This is, this is classic, this is classic traditional heavy metal played at its best. Like straight up, this is all the elements that make me happy about like old school throwback metal. This mm-hmm. fucking rad, but it doesn't and it doesn't sound cheesy. Like it's not done, like in like a tongue in cheek way. Like this, 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 this woman means business, dude. I'm like, goddamn. And I heard that that vocal hook is just vicious. It's so good. Mm-hmm. All right. Next so, one is uh, Athenop Wait. Um, this is that one I really liked a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, this stood out. I mean, Forgotten Land kicked ass too. Like, no complaints. But uh, this one really popped out to me. Uh, it's another faster one. It's it's just got... I like the riffing on it. It's got a lot of just like... Kind of stuff, which is a lot of fun. Um, another catchy chorus. Um, again, with the Lovecraft reference. Asenath Waite is a character from uh, a couple different Lovecraft stories one of Lovecraft's only female characters, but she's actually like been... Which ones? Uh, which Lovecraft stories? Yeah. That is that's, a good question. Um, let's look it up. Yeah, she's she's kind of possessed, I think, by the spirit of her grandfather or something like that. Um, okay. Let's find Wikipedia here. Uh, she appears in The Thing on the Doorstep. And then, um, what's it? Edward Pickman Derby. But what's that? What's that story called? <laughs> anyway, but yeah, she's a. Uh, it's an interesting okay. character. Also, one of the only Lovecraft characters to kind of occur across multiple stories. Interesting. Uh, hmm. uh, she was named probably for uh, there was a really prominent occultist around the end of the 19th century named Arthur Edward Waite. Um, and he's the person who designed uh, the classic tarot cards. So, you know, the, the tarot cards that we've all seen, you know, if your barista has a tattoo of the moon card, 
you know, with like the lobsters and the dogs barking and everything, or, you know, of the high priestess or whatever, it's likely that she's using the, the, the AE weight designs. Um, oh, they were okay. actually drawn by a, a young woman named Pamela Coleman Smith, but it was weight that, that actually designed them. And he wrote a bunch of books that Lovecraft probably would have known and probably would have been freaked out by because Lovecraft was scared of everything. <laughs> um, so anyway, it's, it's, it's cool. It's a cool uh, song title, especially for uh, a female fronted metal band. Um, yeah. And I liked that kind of took me to that literary place, gave me that extra little hook uh, and the song kicked ass. Yeah. I liked it a lot. I really, I actually was a big fan of the intro as well and that clean guitar and it's not the loudest, but there's a very cool bass line underneath that, mm. that clean mm -hmm. guitar as well. He did like a real, um, it's subtle, but it it complements it really well and it kind of makes it sound really full. So yeah, I was a big fan of this too. I also liked the kind of like shrieking, desperate sounding vocals in the pre-chorus. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really yeah. neat too. Yeah, I really like the that heavy the the heavy riff out of the uh, '80s rock ballad esque piece. Like that was just I, I it it hit me. I liked it. I yeah, it was it. definitely like. Uh, unexpected i kind of thought this was gonna be a power ballad and i was like okay this could go one of either one or two ways but then it just yeah it picks up and i was like all right yeah i'm in i, I was totally into this song this is another great tune again i'm just buying it big time um then we kind of get into like the last four songs of the record and it kind of like it, it didn't lose me but it didn't grab me as hard on the last half of the album as it did the first half there's still yeah. these are rad songs like the next one I guess it's called The Calling. Is that right? And it's a little bit folky. Um, kind of a mid-paced number. It has a nice big chorus, but it didn't really like grab me as hard as the earlier tracks. That was just me. I don't know how you guys feel. I you know, I'll be honest. About this one especially. You know, uh, for me, you know, it's funny because I actually noted beside here uh, The Calling was actually one of the top three for me. Hmm. I like, I actually, it for me, it felt like... Um, a true headbanger just grip for me like it just it was the right tempo the right feel for me like i felt like when it came on like i hit it every time i just like the the guitar solo with the chorus and the key change near the end like that was just like i was i i was not fatigued by the by this part of the album and i was just yeah i was still buying in and, and loving it like this album is not a super long one yeah. So it's it's like it's it's a really good length to to enjoy, right? And yeah, I know I just I love this song. I, I really did. Cool. I was kind of noticing when I was listening today, um, probably the third and fourth time through the album, I was kind of starting to realize like the quality of these last few songs is just as high. I really think it, it this is for high, me yeah. at least might be a little bit of a fatigue thing. Not that I was fatigued exactly, but but by this time I was just not finding as many things to like set each song apart. I think that's but when where I kind of started. But I think for me, these songs are going to be coming later songs. Like these will be the songs yeah. that like in a month when I revisit it, I'll I'll really the calling is one that I'll probably get right into. Um, that's that's because... what I was thinking because I started at probably around what side B is. I think I started at Asenath Wait today and and just listened to the last few tracks, and I was really noticing some stuff, especially on tracks nine and ten, and especially on the the next track, Flaring Madness. I was I was really noticing a lot that I didn't notice the first few times through. So. Same here, because I and, and I and I was kind of feeling the same way, and but and I think I don't think it would be fatigue. I just kind of wanted to go back and listen to the other songs because <laughs> I was just like still they were still fresh in my head which is the sign of a deep album. 
Yeah. And that's a good thing. Um, but Flaring Madness got me too. Um, it's got like a cool, really cool harmony at the beginning. Uh, this is pure two power metal. Lots of double bass. Um, uh, lots of like Halloween classic power metal stuff. This is, this is a, this is a rip and track. It's awesome. And for the outro, they just go all out on the like big whoa, whoa melody that they repeat. Yep. Everybody's going to sing it. It's going to be a Best great live time, track. Right? Yeah, exactly. I was, yeah, I, I, um, this is the, that's the fade out ending that you're talking about there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, it's the only, it's the only track on the album that does the fade out ending. And it's just, like as personally, I'm not a big fan of the fade out ending, but I've I've also but I've also been in bands that have used the fade out ending, and I may or may not have been the one who suggested it. <laughs> but, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but yeah. I just but like as a rule, like I'm glad that there's only like one on the mm-hmm. album. That I, I think the fade out ending should be used not as you don't want to use it as a cop out. You don't want to be like <laughs> we don't know how to end the song, so just fade it out. If it's a fade out. You should be like, this is why we're fading this song out. We want this one. We want this to kind of trail off, and it should be a technique. But yeah, if it's a cop out, and sometimes you can hear it, and you know that these fuckers just couldn't write anything at the end, so they just faded it out. Yeah, I'm. I'm Darren. You know, I'm. I'm generally not pro fade, but, but oh, I had to definitely... fucking fight tooth and nail to get this fucker to agree to put a fade out on the record. <laughs> <laughs> I just like hearing, you know, I like a nice sharp ending where I'm like, yeah, that song just ended Clean. and sounded live, you know. Yeah, I do too. But, I do too generally. But I just think that sometimes there's a, if you, if you, especially if like live you're leaving room for it to like go on or improv or sure. whatever, it's okay because then that creates that familiarity with the fans that this is going to keep going, right? And they yeah, I mean, listen to place. Dio. Dio fades out like 75% of he does. the songs. Because that's because well, you know that guy. He'll start playing Holy Diver song two, and then he'll like play fourteen songs in the middle of it, and then he'll reprise Holy Diver at the end of the set. Right, <laughs> that's his style, and I love him for it. But yeah, that's that's a great one. Um, so then we get to Lost in the Dark, and this is this song kind of like I think follows along the same lines as Flaring Madness. It's again, it's a very classic power metal. Um, I think I was honestly fatigued when I got to this song and I'll be honest, I'm not going to say too much about it because um, I didn't pay too, I didn't pay enough attention to it. So I'm not going to really form any strong opinions on it because I just was, I found it similar to the last one. So I didn't, it didn't grab me, but I'm, I'm going to wait to form an opinion about it until I listen to it a few more times. I think her you'll be pleased when you do. The beginning of the chorus. What's that? What's like that her voice there, her voice yeah. at the beginning of the chorus is just ace. Nice. Like she, she does that. Uh, oh, it's she. Um, I just like she's she's got that style of singing throughout the whole album, and then you know on the final on the final of of their songs on the album, she just right, right. changes her voice for for that chorus and just ends on like ends and proves it to to everybody in the room that yeah she can do it all mm. <laughs> like. I, I don't know. I, I really like Lost in the Dark quite a bit. Yeah, I did too. And I, I, I'm not remembering right now one of these two, Flaring Madness or Lost in the Dark, has some really impressive vocal stuff where she kind of just, you know, goes pedal to the metal and does some more of her high range stuff. It sounds really good. Also, the drum performance I thought on Lost in the Dark was killer. Well, I'll defer to you guys because I didn't, I didn't pay enough attention to it. And I won't <laughs> form a, I'm not going to form a strong opinion of a, of a, of a song that um, I had. Uh, the tough week at work. I was been working with Tesla all week and 
I shouldn't see too much, but yeah, it's been a very mentally draining week and I didn't have, I didn't pay this song enough attention. So I'm not going to have a strong opinion either way. Cause that's not fair. All right. Well, what are we going to talk about? Uh, Welcome home. Yeah, I guess we have to. I mean, I paid attention to that because I was like, okay. <laughs> um, damn, that's a hell of a cover. I mean, a cover to end the song. The album was an interesting choice. Um, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I thought it was an interesting thing. It's a wicked cover. And it yeah, definitely, I mean, like, I'm not surprised that she could hit those notes. I mean, just listening to the whole album, I'm like, yeah, okay, she'll keep New King Diamond, no problem. Yeah, but if you, I don't know, it, it does seem kind of weird to me because if you got through the last 10 tracks, then you know they can play. You don't, they don't need to prove that. No. And, it's, it's and this, this cover is so spot on that it's, it, to me, it kind of like raises the question of why is it even here? Because it's so, you know, it's, it's a lot like the King Diamond version and they, yeah. certainly they can play it. It's good. Um, and I, I saw one, uh, Somewhere I saw that Andy LaRocque actually plays one of the solos. Oh, that. well, I mean, Christ, if I could get Andy LaRocque to play on my album, I'd do a King Diamond cover, too. Maybe right. that's why they did it. Um, <laughs> Maybe so. That dude, dude, we, I saw them. I saw that King Diamond tour. It came to Seattle. I guess it was either early 2020 or late 2019. I forget when. And I parked myself right up front where Andy LaRocque was going to be. And that dude is so impressive live. Oh, my God. It was it was even better than I thought it was going to be. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting choice to end the album. It's a very solid cover. The performances are really good. Um, I think they probably just did it because they fucking wanted to. And cool. Yeah. Do whatever you want, man. What do you think, Jesse? You know what? I, I hadn't heard this song in a very long time. And, and it, it, when it, it hit, I was like, I was like taken for a second. I'm like, wait a minute. No. Really? Because like I, I wasn't really paying attention to the song titles for the first couple of listens or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so when this one hit and I wasn't prepared for it, I was like, no. And I was pretty excited. I was I was excited about it. Again, though, it, it definitely, like, you're a strong band with lots of strong qualities. And then you end with, with the cover. Again, I'm not against it. I just... If it was me doing it, and this is just if it was me, I would have thrown two words in bracket, in parentheses or in brackets at the end of it that's a bonus track. Yep. And I think if they did that, it probably would have landed a lot better for a lot of people. But that's just what I would have done. Because then, you yeah. know, because a bonus, when you break bonus track, it just, this just means it's a fun thing. Enjoy it. Don't pay too much heed to it. This is just you know, something we, we did. It's really interesting that you say that too, because like I said, like when I heard it, I was excited to hear it, and it's a and it's a it's an amazing song though. But when you look at the album as a whole, as a and piece then you of have art. that yeah. as a piece of art, and you have that at the end, you know it's it's your album, right? Like, yeah, I and you. their style. I mean, her style as a singer, as and as a lyricist, and the band style as an ensemble is very well defined. Um, it's it's distinct, and it's not King Diamond. Um, yeah. <laughs> Which is, and they can do it, but but King Diamond has such a distinct style that it, it is a little bit jarring to consider it part of the same album. Because yeah, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. Different entity. But yeah, I mean, I guess that kind of wraps it up. I mean, again, like I this is I love this album. This is probably my favorite album that we've reviewed so far this year for me personally. Um, I guess if I had so if I have one gripe about this album, and it's not really a gripe, and it's just not a Crystal Viper thing. 
This is a lead guitar player. Um, the I wish lead guitar players in 2021 paid more attention to their tone because everybody sounds the fucking same. Like everybody sounds like a Jackson guitar played through a PV amp or a used Kettner amp or a Jackson guitar played through whatever amp. And I wish that when you, when you go back to the old days, the glory days, when you hear Vivian Campbell, when you hear Ingve, when you hear um, the guys from Iron Maiden or KK and, and uh, you know, from Priest, the guys from Priest or whoever, you hear them play and you're like, damn it, that's them. Bam, there's that signature guitar tone. And it seems to me that guitar, these guitar players are awesome players. They know how to get flashy. They know how to be technical. They know how to be melodic. But the tone is not distinct. There's nothing that makes me go, that's a dude from Crystal Lighter. Mm-hmm. It's, and I find that a, a, a thing with all lead guitar players these days. I can listen to it. And a lot of times I'm like, that's a Fernandez guitar through a 5150. <laughs> and I'm not, a, I'm not a gear guy. But I'm like, I've just... It's just, it's just like everybody kind of has this tone that they go with. And I wish that more lead guitar players would come try to branch out and create more of a sound that's kind of theirs. And even if it's like Randy Rose with a twist or Ingve Malmsteen with a twist or whatever, um, just something that isn't some sound like everybody else. Yeah, yeah they just it, download the guitar tone, right? Yeah, exactly. So it I seems significant that, like, in the course of talking about this whole album and going track by track, and it's an album we all liked, and we all thought it sounded good, and I think we can all agree that the lead guitarists sound great. They like, rip. They're fucking they so rip. good. It's awesome. Um, but at no point did we, like, really discuss any guitar solos or any guitar moments apart from just, you know, the Because they, they're good. They're good. And they're, they're, they're technically amazing. And, but I think, I mean, partially because, I mean, Shred has just been, oh, my God. Like, people can just do unbelievable things on the guitar nowadays. Uh, so many guys can do it, um, which is great because we went through a period in the 90s and the early 2000s where no one could do it. <laughs> you know, like, if you play guitar solos, people were like, what the fuck? You know, um, but uh, it, I, just, I just wish there was something tone-wise that lead players would start to do that sets them apart from everybody else. You know, you know, you say that and then like, and then, and then, you know, I sit there with the Odin Fist guys and they sit there and they dick around with their tone and they, <laughs> they listen to it and they get the mixes back and they don't like it and they have to redo it. And I'm just, and you know, I like tone. I really want it to be real good. I just don't want to be a part of it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I hear you, and, and I'm a I'm a I'm a tone guy. I'm I'm a nerd for frequencies and stuff. Uh, I love dialing stuff out of amps, but that's everybody. Everybody has their own role in bands, you know. Everybody has their their things that they do, and that's kind of one of my things is you know making. I, I learned it was a, is a thing that Zach Wild said, you know, back in the day. Um, a guy who you know I don't really like the music he makes anymore, but I think he's a sharp dude and a very smart musician. He said, your tone comes from your amp. He's like, your playability comes from your guitar. Your tone comes from your amp. You can make any tone happen with that amp. You know, just like, and it's, it's just about like, you know, and back in the day when I played in aggression and I was playing with Denis Barth and Denis has a very distinctive rhythm tone. And remember, I remember looking at his amps and the mids are at 10. Like they're all, sorry, Denis, if I'm giving away your secrets, but too late. Um, you shouldn't let me see your settings. Uh, his mids are all the way at 10. And I'm like, damn, 
that's how this fucking guy does it. You know, he's he. That's how he gets that mean, like really punchy growl. And I'd never seen an amp dialed like that. But there's a dude that sat around and played around with with the knobs on his on his head and figured out like something that's going to be his. And I'm just saying, like, if if these if these guitar players on this in this band had a tone that was more distinct, I'd probably be glowing about them a bit more. I think that's mm-hmm. yeah. I think that's possible. And I, I think what Jesse said kind of gets at the fact that they probably spent a lot of time dialing in a really generic tone. And, and I think this is something that happens in music when, when people just like listen to thousands and thousands of recordings and hear thousands and thousands of other players. Oftentimes people get afraid to just take risks and intentionally make a bit of a weird sound. And you end up with this big race to kind of all sound like the best, most clean version of the same thing. Um, kind of at its worst, that's what, opera is like classical music gets a lot can be a lot like that like everyone's like struggling so much and working so hard to create a a sound that like has no flaws but is actually unfortunately kind of generic i Um, think everyone's afraid of the saint anger uh mistake maybe that but there's also like um you know uh i I think like reverb has gotten a bad rap over the years because like everyone calls it like the hero tone dude fucking reverb rules (laughs) <laughs> like it may dude if you sound like you're playing in a stadium i'm probably gonna love it so oh, um, as majesty said we should take heavy metal to the stadium. to the stadiums <laughs> that's where it belongs and i love majesty dude don't get, even get me started uh all right well hey crystal viper damn dude so glad i'm into this so glad i heard this record so glad that i've heard marta gabriel sing um she is a and then again, here's the here's thing, like, she has her own style, and, you know, she definitely pulls from a lot of different influences, but that is one fucking badass singer. Um, she's great. It's, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, and for anyone who's, you know, hasn't heard this yet, I guess, since we're not actually playing this on the, on the show, you know, just to kind of describe, she's got a tone that is very distinctively a, a metal singer's sound. So it's not mm-hmm. like a, a you know a, a neoclassical. Absolutely. So one one thing that we didn't touch on though is is the the ball and ass artwork. Mm-hmm. Well, we did earlier, but you were stepping on your fucking fiance's toe. <laughs> but I would go. love to hear you. I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Well, just like with the, just talking about the Lovecraftian influences and all that kind of stuff of of seeing a uh, Cthulhu esque. Uh, you know coming from the coming from the sky and there's people out on the balcony watching it happen kind of end of the world kind of thing you know like i i imagine that the whole cult idea is that the the day of reckoning and 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 here it comes kind of thing and and i you know i don't know if that's water or if that's lightning or or whatever that's on the bottom of it but i just i really liked it it was good yeah i thought the artwork was sick too man i'm into it not sure who the artist was but um they had uh, the guy who does Blind Guardian stuff That's on it was? a couple of their albums. I don't know if it was okay. this one, but I know that he had done work for them in, in prior years. Okay, cool. But yeah, um, so, very cool. Go ahead. Are you going to say something, something Riff? Uh, I don't think I was. I was just looking at this picture, trying to like see more carefully what's going on. But yeah, it's, it's awesome. I mean, it's metal, but it's also kind of unique. Um, and of course, there's just a great tradition of putting like badass monsters on the cover of metal albums. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I love this thing. It's got tentacles. It's got crab claws. It's got one eye. It's flying. Mm-hmm. 
Hell yeah. Nice. Well, Crystal Viper, um, you know, hey, you've made three fans on the West Coast of North America. So kudos to you oh, guys. Yeah. Triumphant record. Looking forward to the next one. So let's move on to our middle segment, which is our picks of the week. Um, I will go first. Um, since uh, Jesse is our guest on the podcast, I figured I would select something from my collection that is from my home province of British Columbia. Um, and I have picked something that is probably not a metal record, but I don't care. Um, it's by a band called La Chinga, who are from Vancouver, British Columbia. This is their self-titled album. It came out in 2013. These dudes rock, man. If you want to like have find a, a record to put on at your barbecue in the summer while your buddies are over hanging out in the yard, having a good ass time and the sun is shining. This is the one. I mean, these guys sound like Zeppelin, Sabbath, uh, MC5, Blue Cheer, all those great bands from the 70s, um, Pentagram, bands like that. Uh, very riff-oriented, uh, party rock. Um, these guys have been around since 2012, so this is the first full length they put out in 2000. Uh, 13. They also had an album in 2018 called Beyond the Sky, and the best album they put out ever, which I don't have, uh, was Freewheeling in 2016. Uh, that album is wonderful. It was an album I listened to a lot when I kind of moved to America and didn't really know that many people yet. Um, uh, highlights on this record, man, there's so many. Um, the debut, the, the first track, Early Grave, Snake Eyes, the title track, La Chinga. Um, man, this album just rules. This is fun. This is fun, fun music. And look at that album cover, man. Like, you can tell these guys know how to have a good time. Um, so my buddies Carl and Ben, um, these are great guys. My old band, 88 Mile Trip, we toured with these guys a lot. We played countless shows with them. Um, we partied all night on the island several times. Great dudes. Um Top Shelf Band, if you like to have fun, check out La Chinga. Um, Rev, what do you got for us this week, man? Well, I got the latest album from uh, Spirit Adrift. This album is called Enlightened in Eternity. It's one of my favorite albums from 2020. Um, Spirit Adrift's been around for a little while. It's mostly the project of um, this guy named Nate Garrett. Um, who actually up until recently was also a member of uh, the death metal band Gate Creeper ah. for people of a death metal persuasion. Uh, he apparently has just recently left Gate Creeper to focus One on... One of the many gate bands that right. exist nowadays. <laughs> um, and uh, this is kind of a doom record, but it's kind of a doom tinged with uh, traditional style played in this really joyful way. Um, you know, apparently I haven't, I've heard a little bit of Spirit of Drift's first couple albums and it's very good, but it's a bit more like normal kind of doomy trad stuff. This one really stands out and has gotten more attention because it's a very like openly uplifting kind of joyful album. Um, but it's also got some darker tint to it too. It's, um, it's got an inscription that's dedicated to the memory of some departed friends or family looks like. And um, it's clearly a really heartfelt record. Um, and I actually think this, the cover art really illustrates it well. I don't know if you guys can see that's here. Cool, we've, man. Got, we've got like a, a, a painting, you know, actually really gorgeous painting uh, of this cavalry charge across a river seemingly being led by, it looks like Xena. Um, <laughs> 
and some crusaders uh, all on horseback. And we've also got two very good boys, some, uh, some happy dogs joining in the, the hunt down here. Um, yeah, it's a really fun album. It's kind of like, you know, we, we re reviewed that Pounder album recently. And in terms of sound, I kind of feel like this is what that album kind of wanted to be. Um, it's got this great production, um, a really vibrant low end sound to it. I think the guitars are tuned down to probably D or C sharp or something. Um, and so it's got this, this really great growly kind of tone to it, but a lot of it's pretty up tempo and that's a really fun combination. Um, there's some great riffs on this thing. Um, it's almost all you know up and mid-tempo stuff until the last track reunited in the void which is like a more traditional doom kind of track with um with uh organ and everything um i guess highlights i'd recommend just dropping the needle on the first track right into the light it's just got a great intro it's one of those that like you know the hi-hats kick in and the and there's this riff that just you know if you have blood it'll get it pumping you know it's one of those like to me it just it has this like massive kind of freight train quality um especially on the best tracks i think the first three tracks on the album are the best and it's just like you know every everything i love to listen to metal for just like a massive amount of energy moving in this powerful way like expressing powerful feelings um yeah it's the shit spirited drift enlightened in eternity all right jesse what you got for Beauty. us brother? So I'm not a vinyl guy. I'm a, I'm a CD guy. And uh, my pick of the week is Battle Cry Under a Winter Sun by Three Inches of Blood from uh, Vancouver, Canada. Homies. Homies. Now, so, so let, me just, let me just start by saying how I got this album. I was in an A&B sound. Oh, there's an obscure Canadian reference for you. This is, uh, this is a long time ago, and I was in an A&B sound, and, and I came across the rack, and they had Advance and Vanquish up on the rack, and I bought that album, and I sat there, and I didn't leave my CD player, because I rode around on the city bus all the time, uh, and, uh, and I listened to that album front to back, and I couldn't get enough, and when you can't get enough of a band, you're like, well, is there more? So I went to A&B Sound because this is how you found music back in the day. I yes, went sir. to A&B Sound and I asked the guy, I was like, hey, does this band have another album? And they said, oh, let me take a look. And they opened a catalog and, uh, and I actually had to order it. And it came in three or four weeks later and I got a phone call saying that it was down there. So like, this is to find new music. I had to wait three, four weeks and then get a phone call and then get on the bus, go down to A&B Sound, purchase it for, I think it was $25 that I had to pay for the CD because it was fairly obscure. And I bought Battle Cry Under a Winter Sun yes, and, and, and I chucked it in my Sony Walkman and I threw my little headphones on. I had the cool ones that, that flipped behind the head. Uh, they didn't go over the top. They went over the ear and around the Oh, back. I loved those. Yeah. Good if you have here. <laughs> yeah i yeah i had i, oh, I had i had long hair i never i remember uh, <laughs> yeah i used to be real cool um <laughs> and and yeah anyway so so a couple of the the highlights on this uh album for me like right out of the gate like ride dark horse ride that song is a forever song for me yeah. um and then you know it goes into like destroy the orcs and like i just i remember 
I remember being in 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 Germany and uh, in a metal bar and have that song come randomly on, and you're just like, these guys are from my province. <laughs> yeah, you're just like like just so much pride. You're just like, oh. And then like and and the whole the whole album like is 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 really good. It's really it's it's uh it's really gritty. It's it, I I I love it. Like Lady Deathwish is just a fantastic song. And then it finishes with I consider the best three inches of blood song, which is Balls of Ice. Yes, every I hundred percent agree show, with you. I hundred percent agree with you. That's the best show, song those guys ever did. Every single, uh, every single show that I had ever been to of a Three Inches of Blood show, I have been the guy chanting Balls of Ice at the end and have Cam just rage. You know? <laughs> and, and, and then, like, and then I remember their, their final show when they actually finally played Balls of Ice with Jamie Hooper on stage. It, it was, it, it tied this chapter up so nicely for me. Anyways, that's my pick of the week. Dude, I, I, that, awesome. that album was a very important one for me, too. I remember, so I had heard, it's a funny, it's a crazy story. Like, I, I, I had heard of Three Inches of Blood at the time. This is like 2002, 2003. Boom. Long time ago. And I heard of them, and they were playing around town, and they had a gig at uh, Video, it was a place called Video In Studios. It was a little... <laughs> They did an all-ages gig on Main Street in Vancouver. And there was probably – so I went there with a co-worker who was also, like, a, a metalhead. And she was actually one of the people that introduced me to a lot of the local scene. And she was like, yeah, let's – I was like, yeah, I really want to check out this band because, like, they kind of play – they're a local band that plays metal more along the lines of what I like. So that's what I hear. Because um, at the time, I was hanging around Scrape Records and buying albums, and there was a couple, you know, people talking about local bands or whatever, and their name kept coming up. So – they were playing there and I wanted to go and she was like, yeah, I'll go, I'll go with you. Let's go check this band out. So we went and saw them play. There's 20, it was a floor show. There's no stage. So it was a floor show. There's maybe 15 people at this gig. And I was a broke ass line cook. I like moved out of my parents' place. Like I was 21. I like moved back. I, I like left home when I was really young. Then I moved back to go to school, had a job as a chef. I had no money. Um, so she bought me the CD. She was like, "Hey, I like you want you really you really like this band? Like, buy, I'll buy you the CD." And yeah, dude, I, I feel exactly the same as you did. I, I have the, I have that same I have the same album. It's it's tucked away somewhere, and I agree. Like, Balls of Ice, the best they ever fucking wrote. It's so good, um, and they're such a huge part of like BC heavy metal history. Um, oh, one of the absolutely. bands to really go and fucking do it. You know, to really legitimately do it and and be loved worldwide like they're 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 meteorite yeah man when i mean we, i i haven't I, I should check out that first album because i i have not heard it but i i did have i it, may have to Vanquish. like burn you like, a copy yeah man yeah I it's, it's that hard to find it's not really i don't think you can find it online no too, too maybe maybe on youtube maybe yeah probably i'll dig maybe. around and see what i can find because i i think like a lot of people you know i i had advance and vanquish and I loved it. And it was the, for me at the time, you know, I fairly typical teenage metalhead in those days, I guess. Like I didn't really, I don't know. Like I didn't listen to anything that had high pitched clean vocals and I, I was oftentimes kind of turned off by it, but for whatever reason, the way that they were doing it um, and the way their songwriting was put together, like 
you know, got me really stoked on it. I remember I, I had a three inches of blood t-shirt when I was like 15 that I got at Hot Topic. You know? <laughs> Holy shit, no way. What? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that must have been like the Fire Up the Blades era, like a little bit later on. when they, yeah, that's, when they that's when they sold out, man. Yeah, dude, that's when they only had one singer. <laughs> and honestly, actually, like, no, they were awesome. Fire Up the Blades was amazing. It kills. Actually. Like, it, it kills. That's a great fucking record. I don't think there's a bad one they ever did. Um, so, yeah, they're, 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 they're a really cool band. And, you know, um, my old band did a couple of gigs with them. They're always real nice. Um, I missed their final two shows. Uh, I regret missing them. But, um, yeah, it was uh, – I heard it was a party. <laughs> oh, man. You, oh, man. Yeah. I, I, I missed them. I was, I was down here when those, when those happened. But they, uh, they, I heard those shows were fucking incredible. Um, I drove and, through a snowstorm over the connector in, in mid-November to get there. And of course, yeah, control. I know you would. <laughs> if anybody yeah, we would, lost it's control you. of the vehicle, and and like we 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 got there. Hmm. I'm not gonna say how it happened, but we got there. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't totally legal, but we got there. <laughs> I plead the fifth on my travel uh, arrangements to three inches of. I, I guess this goes public too, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. Anyways, plead <laughs> <laughs> the fifth. I can edit it out if you want. <laughs> no, 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 but it's uh. Yeah, they're 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 a great band. So this kind of leads me like you know we're we're kind of like getting into the part of the, the show, especially when we have a guest where we just kind of shoot the shit about whatever. And um, you know, me and Jesse have both been deeply involved with the metal scene in British Columbia, Canada, for a number of years. Myself, I mean, fuck, I started playing in bands up there in like 2005, and continued, and I'm still playing. You know, we still play up there. Like it's very important to me that Greyhawk goes back and plays in my old town because you know i have lots of friends there and um i think it's a very thriving metal scene that's grown so much since i've seen it like the british columbia metal scene from when i first got involved in 05 is Mm -hmm. exponentially bigger i mean shit dude i remember the first i was at like i don't know if it was the first or second armstrong metal fest but it was i went with stony one year and it was like on the farm dude yeah. Oh shit. Yeah, that's, I was on the that's farm. Legit. That was that was the first time I met the guys in Terrifier who were Skullhammer at the time. I yeah. think. Um, yeah, that was them. It, it was just it was like to see it because basically back then it was. You a were farm. there at the farm. Yeah, I was at the farm. Like, oh man, did you see me streaking? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was uh, it, it was basically like the first couple AMS were basically a party, right? It was more of a oh, party man. than a festival. And these guys, like, Jesse has, like, a, a crew. Like, you guys have basically a committee that, like, kind of put – and a, a crew of people that puts this – it's now a legitimate, real heavy metal festival. Um, so so let me let me do a let me do a, a West Metal Entertainment Society plug here. So, please. So what uh, – when we decided to go from, from basically the farm to a legitimate place in the middle of Armstrong – basically what we did was we created a not-for-profit society and the the object of that society was to provide large stages or stages period for for local bands and and touring bands to to play at and the other object was also to put or to give money to high school kids to go to school uh like uh education afterwards so we have a bursary program and and then we also have the festival and minor gigs on the side. So I 
you know, I was, I was 20 at the time. And so I was like, Oh, I'll start a not-for-profit society. No problem. (laughs) It's really hard. But, uh, (laughs) but I was just like, I was just so damn determined to get it done. So like, so we created the society and we, we did everything in it, anything that we could. And we went from a party in the backyard to a legitimate festival. Mm -hmm. And we count the first two years because they were technically part of the uh part of the years that we were doing the festival but yeah oh it's 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 unbelievable because i i distinctly remember going to that and being like because there's a lot of like people putting on things like that um mm-hmm. back in the day there's one that i there's stories that i'm not sure i can tell on a podcast from one called bc metal show in port alberni uh that three inches of blood actually played one year and uh <laughs> damn like <laughs> It was there was some wild shit that happened there, and you know the, the first couple of AMFs were fucking wild too. Um, okay, so are. so you know what? Okay, you know what? I, I I actually this is a story that I I wanted to tell, and it's a fairly I'll, I'll keep it fairly brief, but I have my own uh, D Snyder story about okay. Armstrong Belfast. Sweet. Okay, awesome. so so the D Snyder thing, everybody knows he he went to court and he just kind of showed up or whatever. Right? So, anyways. <clears throat> my my story goes, I had one of our council members who was supposed to get me some posters. He spent too much money the weekend prior and he couldn't afford gas. So I had to get my own posters printed. So I went down to the print shop, which I ran into a reporter. This reporter asked me, hey, are you going to this meeting this afternoon about Armstrong Metal Fest? And I looked at her and I went, I heard nothing of the sort. And she's like, oh, well, it's at two o'clock at this venue. And I'm like, well, then I will be there. (laughs) So then I I got my posters and I went and I did my poster printing because I'm a person of deadlines. And if I say I'm going to put up posters on this day, I'm going to get out there and damn well do it. So I went out there and put up my posters. And then now just to paint the scene here. Now, I wasn't D. Snyder wearing jeans and nice fucking like sweet shirt and looking awesome and stuff like I was wearing like a shitty metal shirt, board shorts and Crocs. <laughs> and, and I was, I was not, not in a position to be looking respectable. And like, when I think meeting about an event, like I don't, I don't really know what to expect. And I roll in to a meeting around a big, big ass table with city councilors, angry members of the public, a priest, a whole bunch of really upset residents and 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 I go in there and like every seat in the house is taken except for the one front row center and I was just like oh man okay I was not prepared for this I go there I got my little crappy binder it's the same binder I've been using for ever since and uh and I like sit there and and they're like well we will add Jesse Valstar to the uh to the whatever the thing that they call for the day the meeting notes and then I'm like okay sure and then they, all right let's start the meeting Jesse Valstar you have the floor and I was like oh you dinks like you guys are putting me first like I and I'm <laughs> and I'm like and I'm like sitting there and I am so fucking nervous but I am trying to act so confident and I'm like sitting there and I go I don't know what to say <laughs> <laughs> and and it was just pure honesty right I, I like I didn't know I was like I don't know how to do this what do you want me to say and they they like looked at me and they're like 
convince us to have the festival. I'm like, do I do that from where I'm sitting or what do I, like, what's the format? And they're like, where, whatever you want to do. And I'm like, okay, confidence, confidence. So I stood up and I walked up to the podium, which no one was supposed to do that, I guess, but I did. <laughs> and I wandered up to the podium and then I basically just laid out my plan for the festival that I had spoken to the RCMP, that I spoke into the, the fire department about exit strategies and yada, 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 that I've already booked the security that I've like, and I just started just laying out all the work that I had done. Right. And then I like sat down and I felt like pretty good afterwards. And then, uh, and then the angry residents started speaking. They were concerned that there was going to be vandalism and that there was just going to be hammered people laying all over the ground, all over the place. And just, and I was like, the whole time, I'm like, that is crazy talk. Like interrupting. I wasn't supposed to be interrupting, but I did. Because I was like, I was like, that's absurd. Like, no one's going to be doing that. There's not going to be a low laying fog and like trash cans thrown all over the place. It's like, not the Sunset Strip in the 80s. <laughs> no, I know. And that's what and they were Besides behaving. that, that wasn't even that dangerous of a place either. Like, you know. No, no. <laughs> and then, and so, and then, and then the priest comes up and then he starts reading a three page speech about about how i'm inviting evil spirits into the, <laughs> into, the into the town of armstrong i shit you not and and i was and i and i'm sitting there and i just basically taking this whole thing right and then the everybody is around the big round table of the counselors right and they're like well we have to make a vote and they sat there for it was about 10 minutes longest 10 minutes of my life and and then the one counselor, it was one of the older ones on the on the block, he said, he's like, well, if we say no to this, we don't say no to it because of heavy metal. We say no to it because of music festivals, because we can't discriminate. And they were all agreed. And then he put up his hand and then the rest of them all unanimously voted to have the festival. And then everybody stormed out of the room. That's so <laughs> fucking then, cool, nice. man. And you know what? Yeah. Kudos to that, that counselor for having some common sense oh man and and he was like he was very upfront about it. he was like we're, we're saying no to country we're saying no to pop we're saying no to all of it he's right because and you know what he, he was right and he did the right thing and and you know what to this day armstrong metal fest is a is a major economic driver in in the town like oh, yeah dude. we absolutely we we did like a yeah we we bring well, the last survey that we did, we estimated we bring around one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars into the town. Wow! Like, wow! Yeah, that's a lot of money. Yeah, that's way more money than I have. Yeah, me too, brother. <laughs> <laughs> that's more money than I make in a year, like in, in a weekend. Yeah, you do. So you know, it's interesting. There was a festival that I went to um, in two thousand eighteen, and I played there. I went there in two thousand nineteen as a fan. I played there in twenty. No, I went there in twenty eighteen as a fan. Played there in twenty seventeen. It was called Frost and Fire. And it was down in Ventura, California. Amazing festival. Um, and yeah, it got canceled. And one of the main, I think part of it was the guy who was organizing it was just exhausted because I can't, and it was one thing I wanted to talk to you about is I can't fathom the amount of work because it takes to put that together. But uh, also like the local people, like Ventura is a small, mostly advanced age community on the coast of California. And there was a lot of people bitching about it. None of the local businesses were bitching, especially the local restaurants and the pubs were not bitching. 
Um, anywhere that sold goods and services was not bitching because they were all raked in hand over fist when there was 7,000 extra people in the city booking out all the hotels for the weekend, you know, yeah. attending, eating at all the restaurants, taking in all the local fare. They certainly weren't complaining, but there were a lot of squeaky wheels that got the grease. And in the end, I think that unlike you, thankfully, like you decided to fight. Uh, but those people basically just decided, you know, this is not worth their time because we have other things to do. Um, but I, I didn't decide to fight, by the way. I, I ended up in the fight. Well, by, I think you, by yeah. accident. Knowing you, you would have you would have decided to. Knowing you as I do, you would have decided to. Yes, but you, you I, I would have. But you, you, I, you, you I, had I, a choice that day to say fuck it and go home, um, but you did. I, I I could have pretended like I didn't hear that, and yeah, I, I could have done that. No, you know what? And you know the thing is, is, is doing these things takes a lot of work. I am I am one part. I I was an original part of the wheel, but our wheel has many spokes and. I am I am not a tire. I am part of the spoke infrastructure. And we, like the only reason I can do it is because we have a very large team that handles a lot of the work. I, I am the friendly face and I think I get noticed a lot more because I have a cool sounding last name, but <laughs> it's, it's, it is a total team effort. Have you ever thought of like just calling a band Valstar? Like, you I, know, like I named my company Valstar. Yeah, but like, like, because there's all these like bands like Dawkin and Van Halen, and to a lesser extent, Zenuff, that had yeah. bands like you know named themselves after like their own last name. Like Valstar's a cool yeah. name for a fucking band. Chastain. Yeah, I know, but I'm I'm a I'm a bass player, and I do well, I do have the my my side project where I do like singing and playing classical guitar while playing the drums. Oh damn, I didn't but, know. No. So yeah. So when I play live, I play the classical guitar, I sing and I play um, with one foot, I play a bass drum. And then the other foot, I play a tambourine on a kick pedal. Yeah. I would go see that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's very interesting, but yeah. And that's, that's my Jesse Valstar project kind of band. Um, But But, if you could speak, if you could speak to um, a second, I think it would be good for bands in general to hear about all the work that goes into putting on something like that. I don't expect you to give me like a detailed report, but if you could just like give us, give a, give an idea of the scope of how many hours you put in a year or in oh, your, your, hours, your... hours a year. So, okay. So as, as I, as we established earlier in the podcast, I have, I have kids and I have a band and I have a festival and I run my own electrical company. So the way that I do things is I wake up at three in the morning um, and I start work on everything with coffee before any of the kids or anything gets up. And, you know, I'll do festival stuff. I'll do band stuff. Uh, Festival stuff is way more prominent than the band because the band I do for fun. Mm -hmm. The, uh, the festival I do because, and the, the festival I do because it's work that needs to be done. But as far as hours go, Oh, I would say I bank at least five, five to six a week on, on the regular. And then some weeks it, it bumps up to anywhere between eight to 16. And then some weeks, you know, on actual festival week, it is a 20 hour a day job for eight days. Yeah. And this is why. <laughs> This is why, and the reason I wanted you to say that, this is why all, all my fellow musicians out there who play festivals, 
when you show up and the drum kit isn't exactly to your liking, shut <laughs> the fuck up. <laughs> and be happy that you're there. Because there's a lot of other people that work way the fuck harder than you did. No matter how far you drove or flew or whatever, there's a lot of people that work way harder than you did to make it happen. So oh, yeah. Yeah. show some humility. And, you know, I'm not going to name names, but, you know, I played a, we played a festival in Vancouver. It was Hyperspace we played, the one in Vancouver. I think that was the first time you saw us, Jesse. Um, it was. And um, I was like, I, I'm not going to say the name of the individual or the band it was in, but I just heard some drummer crying about the drum kit. I'm like, dude, you know what? You got to play it to uh, uh, for bands like us to play to a room that full in Vancouver, BC and the West coast of Canada is a privilege. Like it you get to privilege. play in front of all those people. And, you know, basically you basically didn't take the time to get up there and, and figure out the drum kit and figure out how you're going to make it work for yourself. So just stop crying about like what type of amp you get. Or what it, there's a fucking one one other thing to note too, there is, is, uh, is, like so myself and then there's a lot of other festivals that I work with as well and it's called the WCMFA the West uh, Western Canadian Metal Festival Alliance I didn't know all that. of That's us cool. all of us festivals we all meet once a year and like we in the before times before covid we we would meet in like I think I hosted it one year so like loud as hell hyperspace uh metalocalypse like we everybody joins in one one area and then we we you know, we have a day where we have a big meeting. And then, of course, now we have to do it virtually. Um, but, like, we're all volunteers. Mm-hmm. Every single person that, that works in any of these things. I've never made a cent on, on Armstrong Metal Fest, ever. You know, I've been given a few nice things every once in a while. I get a nice gift every once. And, uh, and it's, it, it makes it all worth it. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's a passion project, you know. That's great. I certainly hope that after COVID, maybe some of these attitudes will have changed. I think it's probably hitting home to a lot of people just how playing live, uh, especially in front of a bunch of people, really is a privilege and not something we get to do. I've anymore. always treated it that way, man. And I think we just Rev, this is something we talked about on our first mm-hmm. podcast. I've never. I, I think I got mad once at a gig because. And it was in Winnipeg. <laughs> the only time I ever scolded an audience was in Winnipeg. I told the audience to go fuck themselves in Winnipeg. <laughs> but that was for a lot of different reasons. Um, but I've never looked at a gig as, you know, um, a burden. And, and I've definitely been in bands with people who view gigs as a burden. And I can't relate to those people. Because right. if you think that you know, people paying money to see you on whatever night of the week it is, is, is a, a problem is, is not a privilege. Like, check your shit, man. So Odin fist has had the same, the same members for about 15 years or so. It's pretty impressive. Is it 2006? So we had, we had a different drummer in, uh, in the beginning and then we changed him out for, for Brad. So yeah, we've had the same four guys in the band ever since. And, and just on, on that note there, like, 
our guitarist left in 2011 or something like that. And then he came back in 2014 and we killed him on the album cover. If you want to look at the album cover, it's, it's, uh, the, the album is called rest and glory. And we gave him a Viking funeral on the, on the cover of it. That's so fucking cool, man. And then we just kind of brought him back on the next cover and we just didn't, we just pretended like it never happened. That's so cool. I love it. Something I, I wanted to ask uh, earlier, just for the benefit of, you know, I didn't, I didn't go and listen to Odin Fist, which I would have liked to have if I had a bunch of time just to prepare to, you know, have you on the show, Jesse. But just for my benefit and for the benefit of those who might not have heard you guys, like, uh, how would you kind of introduce yourselves and, and what would be a good entry point for getting into your, your stuff? Well, so honestly, like you, like I, I hate to say that we're you know we're not a one-hit wonder band, but we have one hit that is very um, people like, and it's the "We Are Gods" album, and it's the "We Are Gods" song. Mm-hmm. Like that, that song is our 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 big. It's our balls of ice, let's say. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I would definitely listen to to that. We put that out in 2010, I think it was. It was our second album, technically our first, but uh, it's because the boys don't want to uh, acknowledge the first couple or the first one. Um, I don't know if you guys have any bands like that that don't want to acknowledge their first band, their first album. But I never put up with that. And like, I, if, I, if, if we do something, we did it better for worse. I, I agree. I think Thrash and Pillage is one of our is is one of our albums. Anyway, so yeah, and the way that the way that we are is like we're just we're just a classic heavy metal band that that just I just you know we don't have double kicks in the band. We're in standard tuning. Uh, we have a clean singer, and I do screaming backups when necessary, and. We're really selling people on this, aren't I? Yeah. Um, I'll tell you something that Odin Fist does has, and this is going to lead into a fun conversation because our band has it too, and that is the shapes. Mm. And if people don't know what the shapes are, the shapes are basically what Judas Priest calls coordinated stage moves. Exactly. Oh yeah. And you know, like CSM. Judas Priest calls it throwing shapes, and throwing shapes are whether you know if you see Judas Priest, like you know. Um, Glenn Tipton and KK Downing are like rocking back and forth like this in, in, in unison or swinging your guitar side to side in unison or like, you know, when Steve Harris is his bass up like by his face and he's playing like a fucking, the, the you know, it's a rifle, you yeah. know, like that's, that, those are the shapes. And when you go see an Odin Fish show, you're going to get that, you know, you're going to oh, get yeah. all kinds of really cool stage moves and stage antics, lots of shapes, lots of showmanship. It's something I've always appreciated about seeing you guys live. And thanks, man. Yeah, and, we you know, we, we do it we do it too because I believe it should be a show. It should be an experience. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Like, I mean, I think, yeah, being an entertainer is an all-consuming kind of thing. I mean, you look at like what people used to have to learn just to like be on stage. Everybody had to tap dance and sing and do all this stuff. And yeah, I mean, if someone pays money to see us live, I feel like they should be experiencing it with. Uh, all other senses. I mean, maybe not smell, but you know. You when know. I'm finished, playing, I, 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 I've, I've so. made that happen, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, I never forget. I mean, dude, it was 2015, 88 mile trip was touring, and we slept in a jam space in Montreal for three days with no shower. 
and we got to Toronto and we started playing and we all started sweating and like the stink oh, no. was, was like palatable. You could, it was thick and the audience moved back. <laughs> baby powder can only do so much at that point. Oh yeah. There's no amount of fucking baby powder or cornstarch <laughs> or any fucking herbal remedy. I took a, sh- that was the best shower of my life. But anyway, I, I imagine. Like, like going back to it, I mean, the one thing, I mean, I've, I've played a couple of gigs for the Odin Fest over the years. My old band Entropia played with you guys at the Media Club in Vancouver. Oh, man. I think that like, was with Dead Asylum played that sir, one, too. That's right. I think that was like 2009 or 10 or something. I can't remember exactly what that was. It was 2009, I think it was. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, there's always, you know, you're going to see a, You're gonna see a show. You're not going to see... Uh, three dudes get up there, stare at their feet, and give you a recital. You're going to get a rock and roll show. So, so. I actually I, I wrote a couple of things down. I was just saying, like, so the, the, you call it the shapes. See, we, we call it we call it swoop. Nice. When you do this, when you do the swoop back and forth kind of thing, and like if you watch us really closely, you'll see us talking to each other while we're doing those shapes. Like mm-hmm. if we're lined up, and we are saying some of the most absurd shit you've ever fucking heard. <laughs> Like I will lean in and I will be like, I swear you smell like Arby's and, 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 and like the whole, the whole time you're, just, you're trying to, you're just trying to make them break. You know what I mean? You smell like a combination of curly fries and shitty beef. Oh man. And, and then, so, and then uh, a couple other moves that, that I, I really like. So, um, uh, oh, this is a good one. I was, I told you about this one, the, the backbreaker. So this was a move that I made up when we were opening up for, or we were playing Hellraiser Fest, uh, Byron Stroud from Strapping Young Lad and Fear Factory put that one on. And, uh, and I, I basically what I did is take, you take the bass guitar and, and you throw it up in the air and you grab it by the bottom and you grab it by the neck and you bring it down, you bring your knee up and as you bring it down, you make sure that your kneecap collides with the back of the bass. So when you hit it, and, and you know, the hand on the neck has to cover all but what, whatever string you want to ring out. So if it's an E that you're, what you want to hit, you have everything but E covered. A, a is usually the one that I do. Um, and then you bring it down and you slam right at the base of the neck and you get like a, like a slap, like beautiful sound out of it. But it, I appreciate it's really, that because that's, that's a wrestling reference. That is the pro wrestling move, the backbreaker. So yes. That yes. makes that really like, I love it, dude. That's badass. When I first pulled that thing off, I went down and talked for, talked to Val from West of Hell and Byron, and I had never been so excited that I pulled anything off in my entire <laughs> life, man. Oh, actually, one, one, oh, yeah. And then as far as stage antics go, this is a good one I want to tell you guys about was, uh, was we, we brought a wizard on stage one time. We have a festival wizard, Odin Fist. <laughs> and uh, essentially what happened was was back about 10, 15, no, 10, 12 years ago, we, we were writing down ideas for writing the We Are Gods album. And I wanted to introduce a character called Drizilb Tums, which is a wizard that if you spell Drizilb Tums backwards, it says smut blizzard. And, and then so my singer basically said, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> life. Don't ever bring that up ever again. <laughs> So a year from that day kind of thing, I, you know, we were sitting down writing new songs and I bring up Brazil Tums and I basically just never let Brazil Tums go. I, I, anytime, and I would always threaten to write a song about Brazil Tums, the wizard, right? 
So then one year, because I'm the organizer of Armstrong Metal Fest, I decided that I wanted to kick it up a notch. And I started planning this about 10 months prior. I got one of my friends who does like Comic-Con costumes and that kind of stuff to build a wizard costume. And I never told the band about it. And then I got one of my friends who does orchestral samples. Uh, he, uh, I got him to do up a two minute orchestra sample of a kind of a remix of, of an Odin Fist song. And then I took that and I met with the wizard. I drove out to Kamloops and we choreographed a two minute fight scene. Again, I haven't told the band about any of this yet. <laughs> and, and then, and then I, got, I brought my drummer and my guitar, guitarist in on it. I said, hey, guys, like, this is what I'm going to do at this point. Like, just, you know, and, and my drummer said to me, he's like, he's either going to quit the band or be totally okay with it. Because this was, this was to take the inside joke with my singer a little bit too far. <laughs> so, of course, I said, I'm going to say a thank you in the middle of this song. So we're just going to stop on this note and then I'm going to grab the mic. So we do it. I walk up. And then smoke starts billowing in on the stage, just starts filling it. And then in comes the wizard. Now, the whole smut wizard, he's a, he's a pornomancer. So <laughs> he's, got a, he's got a staff with a bunch of naked ladies on it. And, and it's, it's, it's an amazing costume. And, and him and I have a full-on two-minute choreographed fight on stage. And my, my guitarist singer is standing there and his jaw is on the floor. <laughs> and then we finished it and he didn't quit the band. He ended up putting on the wizard's hat after I killed the wizard and, and finished the song with it. So moral of the story is take every inside joke as far as you can. Because in a way, because yeah, they're funny. Yeah, absolutely they're funny if they're funny to you they're gonna be funny to someone else i mean and yeah you know, I, I hope he was like flattered because that's actually a lot of uh that's a lot of work to put into like a special gift for him in a way and it was hun hundreds of dollars and lots of <laughs> hours of work dude i mean i would feel so loved if someone <laughs> if someone went so far to fuck with me i'd be like wow <laughs> someone really cares you know that's what he said he, he said to me he's like he's like if you didn't do it so good i'd be mad like, <laughs> well, you're not the kind of going to do anything half-assed, Jesse, so I'm not no. um, The only wizard hat story I have with metal was, oh, man, it was didn't take very long. But basically, like, this tradition started with me and some friends when I was in, I used to be in a band called Mecha Messiah with Brian Langley and a couple other guys. And this tradition of, like, wearing pointy, like, party hats started. And whenever it was someone's birthday, like we'd make pointy party hats, and we'd like customize them. It was a really funny story of dude. So we went to we went to this really crappy bar in Surrey, and we had all these pointy hats on. And these like really drunk, this drunk, drunk group of girls came up to us. We're like, oh my god, we love your hats. Can we have some of your hats? And they were like, okay. So we like made them hats and we wrote <laughs> we wrote douche crew on them and like even these hats and these chicks all put them on, they're running around, like, look at our hats. And they got in this giant fucking brawl with these other ladies. <laughs> middle of the bar i mean this is serving right so they start like beating like the douche crew actually kicked the crap out of these fucking chicks from up country somewhere it was fucking amazing but the hats started getting bigger and bigger and bigger as they went so <laughs> one year was my birthday and i decided that my birthday is in september it was three weeks before there was a double heavy metal extravaganza on the thursday it was death angel testament and anthrax and then on the Friday, it was Accept and Creator. 
So I was like, I'm not having a birthday party this year. We're having my birthday party when that happens. So we made like me and Angus, a singer from Entropia, made these giant like party hats. They were like, they were literally like almost four feet tall each. And we started drinking at noon and partying and we rode the sky train at like 5 PM with Vinny from Tyrant's Blood and Ryan, who is the singer of Saints in Hell. This video footage of it, it's really bad. <laughs> we were singing heavy metal songs acapella and like playing, a couple of people were playing guitar and somebody was like playing the drums on their legs like this. And there's video footage of it and people were so Literally disgusted. the best of times. Yeah, people were, people would look like us, like we'd be singing like breaking the law, right? And doing all this and people would look at us all disgusted. And we'd be like, what's the matter, man? You know, like Judas Priest? All right, well, we'll play some Slayer for you. And then we'd like break into rain blood or something. But anyway, I go into to this show with this stupid fucking giant ass hat on my head. And I remember watching Death Angel and then Testament hit the stage and I'm like, I'm diving in the pit. So I remember like just grabbing the hat off my head and throwing it somewhere and I dove into the pit and started moshing around at the end of the show I looked like they're they're doing like the whole like yeah you know it's the end of the show Chuck Billy reaches down grabs my fucking giant wizard hat and like puts it on and part of me was like a little upset that my hat fit on Chuck Billy's giant 33 pound head I was like how big is my fucking head (laughs) so that was the first part but anyway like at the end of the show like anthrax goes on and they fucking killed it and then we're leaving, and there's this guy at the front who was super stoked that he got Chuck Billy's wizard hat. He's like, look, dude, I got Chuck Billy's fucking wizard hat. And I'm like, that's my hat, you fucking dork. I didn't say it, but I was like, I was like, you, you just actually just got my hat. It's not that cool. Come on. <laughs> but, man, Been there, done that. Yeah, lots of people, listen, lots of people have gotten my wizard hat before. It's not that big a deal. Trust me. <laughs> I mean, Angus in a four-foot hat must have been pushing 11 or 12 feet yeah he's he's yeah he's seven foot to begin with so it was definitely a chore for him he, his hat was he was sitting on the sky train and the hat was like basically touching the fucking ceiling <laughs> um, so it was uh, and it was, those are good ass times man that's the fun thing about i say this that's the fun thing about metal in canada is i don't know we just don't really take ourselves too seriously north of the border so anything no, goes man. you know any, any anything goes and anything can happen and i find it's like a little well it's I miss the unpredictability of it. Um, you know what though? Like the thing about, the thing about Canada is there's, there's, I, it's, I don't know what it's like in the States, but like there is a wide variety of gigs that you can play to a wide variety of audience mm-hmm. because in Canada, the likelihood of you getting a solid metal crowd is eh, it's 50, 50 because it's, you know what? There could be a bunch of people out, out just for a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just not quite like that in America. Like it, I, I think that, Maybe it's just like a percentage of people who like metal thing. It's just a little bit higher in Canada. That's what it seems like to me being down here. Again, Um, again, Rev, I'll say this. Um, You've experienced, I mean, it can be a percentage thing, but you've also experienced good gigs in Canada only. You haven't played, you haven't haven't played the bad ones. Yeah, you haven't had to cut your teeth up there. Like you're, you're, you're coming up there. I mean, and I'm booking the gigs and I've put in 17 years of time. And I know the I know Jesse, I know Mayo in Vancouver, I know Wendy, I know all the promoters. And if I say, hey, I got this band coming, people don't know people know I'm not a bozo, so we can actually get good gigs. Oh yeah, no, no, we'll, yeah, but, we'll definitely hook you up with the good ones. Yeah. Oh, I mean that's absolutely true. But even even at like the good gigs in Canada versus the good gigs down here, there seems to be a bit more of a 
I don't know, a broader slice of different kinds of people who come to the shows in Canada mm-hmm. and come in the it's U.S. Less, it's, less, it's, it's slightly less fragmented. I mean, down here, you definitely, like, have different metal scenes. Like, the people who like classic metal go to the classic metal shows. And the people who like death metal go to the death metal shows. And you don't know who those people are. Mm-hmm. And it could be just because it's a bigger city or a bigger mm-hmm. or more bands or whatever. But, like, the pe- there's a huge... It's a gigantic doom metal scene in, in Seattle. Like, huge. Mm-hmm. Like, lots of these doom bands play, and you never see any of those people at any other gigs. And I go to them because I like doom metal, but I don't see any of those people ever coming to our gigs. Or if I go see a death metal band, I don't see them there. Um, so it, it is a bit more fragmented down here. I mean, Canada I can say that in Seattle, I've never played a bad show. I mean... My intro to playing in Seattle was being the bass player for Skeletor, so that's not a bad intro. But um, you know, it's uh, Seattle definitely is a is a badass place to play. I've never played a bad gig here, but it does hit a bit differently in Canada. You know what Riff's talking about? Yeah, I mean, part of it I think is I just I feel like there's suddenly a, a, just a wealth of bands and people around in this general area, and that includes Seattle because you know I grew up in New Mexico where there just wasn't really a scene. There were like, you know, the people who would show up at the big national shows in Albuquerque, but that was about it. And so I didn't have, you know, the opportunity to have these kinds of conversations. And I was on my own as a kind of, in terms of finding the, the CDs, kind of like that experience Jesse was describing with Three Inches of Blood. Like I was doing that kind of stuff all the time because that's the only way I could find new music. And the stuff that mm-hmm. like I found that felt so obscure to me, like now I, looking back, it's like, oh, that was totally normal stuff for people in a place so, like this had access to all that stuff. So I, I grew up, I actually, I grew up in Red Deer, Alberta and you guys, mm-hmm. you guys had Jeff Black on a while mm-hmm. back and him and I were high school friends. Oh, I didn't in, know that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We actually, we used to be, you know, like shitty grade nine kids playing magic cards in his grandma's <laughs> basement kind of thing. And, and just like talking like, oh man, did you know Rhapsody? Holy shit. Like, you know, like that was, that was us back in the day. But, and so like, and then in high school, I transitioned and moved to Armstrong. And then I actually started playing in metal bands in Armstrong. Like I played in a few bands back then, back in, in Red Deer, but nothing like I did. Like I found Odin Fist pretty much the first week I moved to Armstrong. And there isn't a metal scene in Armstrong. There's a bunch of farmers who want to go out and party. And, and you know what, when, you, when you're playing to a crew that don't care what the music you're playing is, you can experiment, you can play what you want, you can try new moves, you know, like... Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I learned most of my stage moves from basically just trying to entertain farmers who don't give a shit about the music that I'm playing. You know what yeah. I mean? I mean, that, like, I mean, Rev, you might be, that may be kind of what you're experiencing up there is like up back and back home. Like people will just go check shit out. I mean, if you're, if you're, it's Friday night, you live in Armstrong, you're fucking bored and you hear like something else. The down, what are you going to do? You know, you're going to go check <laughs> them out. You're going to the bar. Yeah. I mean, exactly. And, and there's a lot of pe- people like, you know, I mean, I remember when Entropia was starting, like a lot of, and like, we played in Maple Ridge, like we were just playing at the local bar in Maple Ridge. So a lot of people showed up and I was like, let's make sure we have like a couple Metallica tunes on deck for these folks. Cause like that'll probably resonate with them. That's smart. smart. So, um, well, it's like Jeff, dude, Jeff Black had a great line. I was talking to him the other week. He's like, man, if you, <laughs> 
I'm not going to do my Jeff Black impression. Was pretty good, but he was like, he, he'll be like, he'll be like, his Jeff saying is, uh, if 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 you're ever in the if you're ever in the weeds live, just bust out Detroit Rock City. <laughs> he said, if Detroit Rock City doesn't work, that's when you know you're fucked. He's he's he, he's so right. He's so right. Straight up. Okay, you know what? I actually, I got one last little story for you guys. I, I really want you guys to lose as much respect for me as possible with this one. So just just hang on to this one for me. Okay. When I was back in Armstrong, I, I really wanted to nail the jumping off the amp trick. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where you jump off the amp and you do the whole Eddie Van Halen kick the foot out kind of thing, right? So I was, I was 19 years old. I had just become drinking age and we had just been allowed to play in this bar. So I st- the first time I ever got up on my amp, I thought that the way that you're supposed to do the jumping move is you're supposed to jump in the air, tuck, and then explode, and then hit the note as soon as you hit the ground. That's, that's what I, how I thought the move went. So I did that where I jumped up in the air and I tucked. So I brought my leg up, my one leg up, and then I brought my head down and my bass guitar floated out ever so slightly. And when my leg came up, it connected with the bass guitar, which connected with my face. And, <laughs> and, I, and I fucking broke my nose. And, and, I, and I started just handlebar mustache of blood and you know I hit the note and and I had a backup vocal coming up right away and I didn't miss the backup vocal and thank god it was my own personal mic I used because I would have felt like a real dick getting blood all over that (laughs) but so anyways here's where you guys are going to lose the respect for me because my I didn't realize that my nose was broken because I proceeded to get wasted after that show and and then a few days later the swelling went down buddy comes up to me and he's like dude your nose is crooked and I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I think you broke your nose. So I like go up and I look in the mirror and I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, what do they do for a broken nose? And they're like, well, they put a couple of chopsticks or something like that and they fix it. Right. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, like, I'm like, I am not going to a hospital to have fucking some guy fix my nose. Like I can do this. So I pick up a bottle of whiskey and I go back home and I sit in the garage and I basically just, take a couple of big drunk drinks and, and I tried to break my own nose. Funny story about trying to punch yourself in the face. You can't hit yourself hard enough to break your own fucking nose. No, you can't. All you can do is basically just kick the shit out of yourself. <laughs> so I, I went at it for about half hour. <laughs> I, I did, and and like if someone would have came out and saw me, I was just sitting there with a bottle of whiskey, face just bright red. Like I I don't know if I, I wasn't bleeding, and and then I got these chopsticks taken inside me. <laughs> just what someone would have thought. And then, you know when I finished and I admitted defeat, I basically just went in and watched a movie and fell asleep and just had a sore face for a couple more days. And <laughs> my nose is still crooked, but. <laughs> It's not that bad. You don't quite look like a hockey player, so you're doing okay. No. Yeah, well, I live in Canada, so it's attractive. But that is, that is, that story is Canadian as hell, and I fucking love it. It's kind of making me homesick, man. As, as, a, as, a, as a general thing, I would also say that it seems like Canadians just have a little bit more of a healthy relationship with fun than Americans. And I think it, it might be our Puritan past, you know, but there's just like this kind of level of like 
Americans kind of feel guilty for having fun in a way. Well, that I'll tell you this: one of the one of the interesting and part of it is I, I have a theory that part of it is geographic, because after moving to Seattle, everything's so close. Everything. I mean, even if I want to go to a show in Tacoma, it's twenty five minute drive, thirty minute drive, yeah. whatever. Um, in Canada, everything's far apart. So when you go to the, I mean, usually when you go to the bar, it's a fucking trek. Like you got to get in a cab and you got to go plan for like half hour and get down there. So when you're out, dude, it might be the last night ever. So you're out. It's an event. Like, and every time, like when you when you when you dude, when you're playing that show in at the rickshaw in Vancouver with me, um, those, yeah. a lot of those fuckers have come from Surrey, Maple Ridge, Langley. These people Armstrong. are taking eighty dollar Armstrong. They're coming from out of town, or they're taking eighty dollar cab rides downtown. They're out, and you know when you're out, you're going to make the most of it. Mm-hmm. So that's right. Like, and then same with same with Victoria. Like when you're playing, the island is nuts. And and I guess when you're in Nanaimo, it's just like fuck. You're just trying to forget you <laughs> or something. But you know, like they just they just if you're out, it's time to go hard because a lot of times you've gone a long ways and made a lot of arrangements. So. You know, you, you got to fucking give her hard, as we say. No, that's a that's a really good point. It definitely is geographic, because like that, and that's and I think that's part of the reason too why you may get a more collective audience at a metal show in Canada, because it's like, you know, there's not much happening all the time. There's a lot more happening nowadays, now but it's like much different. ten, like a decade ago, like if there was a show, like it was a fucking event. It didn't matter who was playing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's been, it's been a tough row for like, it, it always is a tough row for metal, no matter what. I mean, like you got to face, we got, we, as a scene, we all got to realize that, you know, we're always going to be up against it. I mean, we're never going to be mainstream. We're never going to have radio or major streaming platforms giving us a big boost or anything, but that's kind of what I love about it. I like, I like having my back against the wall. I like being part of a crew of people who I'd rather be, associated with a small crew of people who I know I could trust with my life than a mm-hmm. big ass crew of people who will stab me in the fucking back. So damn fucking straight. You know, you know, I, I guess I, I know we're, we're starting to come to a close here, but Rev, I've got, I've got something here for you. I know I was just having a thought there about Odin fist and, and getting into something. I, I'm an avid listener to this podcast and I feel like I know you guys a lot better than you guys probably know me through the podcast. Because when I listen to you guys, it's like I'm hanging out with a bunch of friends who can't see me or hear me. <laughs> um, uh, but anyways, Rev, if, if you want to check out an Odin Fist album, or actually, our, we put out one a year or two ago called Let the Gods Decide. Mm-hmm. And so I, know, I know you are uh, uh, very interested in lyrics and everything. So when you're, when you're listening to this album, it's a concept album from front to back. Mm-hmm. I wrote twenty five. I wrote a twenty five thousand word novella oh, for this album. Cool. And and I, I never put it out. I just I, I I wrote it all, and then I wasn't happy with how it all came out. But I and then I gave it to the guys to to read because this was the concept for the album, right? And so yeah, I wrote twenty five thousand words. I wrote an entire story about two uh, two. Uh, clans at war and and so that album is it's our most really uh, recent one but man it's lyrically it's a really good one cool man i will definitely be checking that out that sounds right up my alley we will make a point to i think i'll make a point i've listened to that already 
because you sent it to me when it came out. But um, yeah. I'll make a point to re-listen to it, and you know, we, we should touch base with that in a, in a week or two. And yeah, yeah. So I'll let you know when we do, and we'll, uh, we'll we'll revisit that on an upcoming episode of the podcast. And I think that uh, that's a good point for us to kind of start to wrap things up. Um, this has been this has been. <laughs> This has been the funny, the best. I think this is my favorite episode so far, dude. This has been a blast. Like, <laughs> this has been fun. an absolute blast. Jesse, you are one of the coolest. I wish that we've lived closer growing up because I feel like we probably would have been best buds. Oh, man. Like, I, feel, we, I feel like we could have uh, hurt each other pretty good. Probably. I mean, if you me and Jeff grew up in hanging out in Gasoline Alley and Red Deer, we probably would have yeah. been uh, a fucking three-headed hydro of doom. And well, that's the thing is like, if you know, your friend can hit you hard enough to break your news. So. <laughs> fair enough, fair. fair enough. But um, yeah, this has been my favorite so far. It's been a lot of fun. And thank you for taking time away from, you know, raising the family and stuff to do this with us. I really appreciate it, man. And, uh, yeah, it's great to have I, you on. And uh, it's nice to think that you'll be hanging out with us in an in invisible, silent way, you know, when we're doing the, the podcast in the future. I'm I'm even gonna listen to this podcast. Awesome. I am going to legitimately listen back to this podcast because I'm a I'm a completion person and I want to see the full listen bar beside this podcast as well. So <laughs> All right, Jesse. Well, dude, you're the guest, so the last word is yours. Um I don't know which if you have anything you want to say to the, the audience out there about AMF or Odin Fist or anything else you want to say, but the no, there's not much yours. to say about uh, uh, any of the stuff that I, I do, but I, I just, I would like to talk to just say my last words about the stuff that you guys do. And I think that stuff like this is super important to, um, to our, our scene, to our metal as a, as a collective. And I think it's really important to, to discuss and, and encourage people to check out the new music that's out there. As I was saying to you earlier, you guys really got me feeling good about, about checking out new bands. And I made a point over the past couple of weeks to check out bands like Ambush. And I checked out the new album from Glacier and, and that kind of stuff and stuff that I would not have checked out prior. And, and like I said, I think that you guys doing stuff like this and motivating people to, to, to better themselves and, and get more experience with music is just wonderful and i thank you guys very much for for all the hard work that you guys do because this is time energy and effort at its max thank you well thanks man thank thanks, you Jesse. um well everybody this has been uh, an awesome episode of keepers of the flame we're gonna wrap it up we'd like to thank our guest uh, jesse valstar check out odin fist uh check out armstrong metal fest uh for jesse for my coast rev uh we will see you next sunday all right adios Thank you.